God bless you this morning as you're seated today. Look at your neighbors. Some of the ladies have been to the salon, so they've got some beautiful dues. First and second service, they're definitely worth a compliment. Let them know how pretty they look today. If you have your Bibles with you, I will be referring to things all over the Bible, so I would say get your phone or a notebook out because there are many important passages to highlight. Before I preach this morning, just two things that, um, actually two, they would be three things that I want to make you aware of. Two are church-related, one is personal. The first thing is, I have great news for you guys. Next Sunday, that is the 31st, we are having an installation service for two new elders here at Bethel Christian Church, and that is Lawrence and Vera Engman. So Vera, you're here. Why don't you wave? So we can see her. So that will happen next Tuesday during our first and second service. We would love for you to be a part of that special moment during uh, first service. I'll have one of the elders, but another um, elder and pastor that's significant to them that will be helping me during second service is Pastor Chris Walker. So we look forward to a beautiful installation service for them. Secondarily, as I said, another announcement, there was supposed to be a Bethel Kids meeting today. Unfortunately, that was unable to happen. That is going to be next Sunday from 12 to 2 in the fellowship hall, the area where children are dropped off and picked up. If you are not normally part of our children's ministry, um, we would kindly ask you to maybe even just go and check out the meeting, see what it's all about. Pastor Alyssa is working with a wonderful new curriculum for children's ministry that also involves special activities and parents. So say that you don't have the ability to be part of a rotation in kids' ministry, um, but you do have the time to be part of an event or part of VBS, um, then we would love for you to come to that meeting to learn what that new program is all about. When Pastor Alyssa spoke to me about the program and showed me all the ins and outs, I got really excited because I feel like we've been doing a lot of modifications just getting Bethel Kids to the place where we feel we want it to be, but we know we can always do better. That's our mentality as a staff. We can do better. And so when she showed this to me, I was like, that's it. That's it. That's what I want for our Bethel Kids. And so we are so happy to be unveiling that to you. So if you want to hear about it and maybe consider being part of something to do with the development of Bethel Kids in 2021, we would love for you to be here next week from 12 to 2, and we'll have pizza, we'll have lunch available uh, for any ladies or gentlemen that want to be a part of it. Just send the other kids home with the other spouse. Even if you sit there and just relax for two hours, that's okay with us too. So uh, feel free. The third thing is a personal thing that I just want to share with you. I, I don't get into too many uh, personal testimonies. There's a reason for that. I feel like uh, a lot of pastors, again, they jibber-jabber a lot about their life, and I'm more like, I'll, I want to preach the word. Like, I love the word. That's what people come for, not to hear about everything Eric did this past week. But the reality of my life is, and especially with the pandemic, my family, everywhere we lived and what we did, we were highly involved in our community. But here we are, you know, you're in the pandemic, I'm preaching to you guys, and again, my life is kind of like, if you were to map it out, it's kind of a triangle, it's kind of boring. It's, I go home, and we have a lot of fun at home, so my home life is not boring. But then I come here, and then I go to my office, and I work here, and it's not boring with the people here, but I mean like the actual commute and things. And then I go back home, and once in a while, I might visit a store. But other than that, my contact with other human individuals has become very limited as to what my life used to be like. 
So the last few weeks as I'm preaching, I mean, I'm not only preaching to you, I'm like preaching to me too. I'm, I'm in this race of Christianity along with every single one of you. And so as I say, Lord, use me and use my life and make me available, that's a prayer from my heart. So I'm not only challenging you, I'm challenging me. I'm praying the same prayers. And so I just said to the Lord, just as a result of everything, I said, Lord, like you see this bubble that I am in right now. And so, Lord, use me outside of this bubble to do something for you. And so my mom had let me know a long-term uh, friend of ours and her daughter, who is a childhood friend of mine, had unfortunately passed away last week, 36-year-old young woman, extremely sad. And so last week I spoke to the mother on the phone who I've known, she's known me since before I even was born. And as we were talking, she was just so upset, but she said to me, listen, if we do a memorial, there is one thing that I want. I want you to do it. And so she said, if you could come to Rhode Island this week and you could perform the service, that would mean the most to me. And I had just prayed all of these things of like, Lord, use me, whatever situation, you know, whatever is happening. And I said, all right. I said, I will definitely, I will be there if I can offer comfort by leading the service. And despite the tragedy of an unexpected death at that service, there were 80 people that were allowed to be present. Of the 80, and these are Italian-Americans, mostly are nominal Catholics. Some of them don't really believe that much. But of the 80 that were there, a minimal number of 30 people accepted the invitation to receive Christ at the end of the memorial. I share that with you because, again, what Pastor Noah said is in this time period, God is going to be bringing souls into the kingdom. New believers, new people that want to know about Christ. There's a hunger out there. I only preached the basics. I preached about Jesus' forgiveness. I preached about eternal life, that if you were to die, you could be guaranteed you have a home in heaven. Very simple. But we live in a world that's paralyzed paralyzed by fear. They don't know what their eternal destiny is. We have good news, and people out there are hungry. So again, let's be that beacon of light as the Bethel community to spread the good news of Jesus. And if you don't know anyone or a circumstance, all you do is simply pray what I prayed, Lord, use me. Make a way. And he will. He'll, he'll, he'll make something happen, and he'll provide the opportunity. I do want to get into the Word of God with you. The last few weeks, we have been talking about the attributes of God or his character. The title, the main title of the series is Mr. Big Stuff. Those that are visiting today, I know that song has a little bit of a negative connotation. Who do you think you are? But the God of the Bible really is Mr. Big Stuff. He's got things in his personality and character that we can utilize and use in the world in which we live to change it for the glory of of Jesus. In the last few weeks, Pastor Maria spoke to you about the holiness of God. I spoke to you about other aspects of his character. Last week, about the mercy of God. I spoke about the goodness of God in the world in which we live. And those are things that God imparts to us. Even though we as human beings might have those qualities in and of ourselves, God supernaturally wants to give them. But today, the character attribute of God that I want to talk about is what we refer to in the world of theology as he is the omnipotent God, meaning he is all-powerful. Yeah, do you believe the God of the Bible is powerful? Do you believe that he is able? Do you believe that he is able to do beyond what you could ever imagine? He is a big, big 
God. But see, even though he is powerful, his power is meant to reveal three things that are of ultimate importance. As I preach today, I'm going to expound on all three of them just to kind of get it not only in our heads but into our hearts. But the first thing that the power of God reveals to us is that God is a father. My daughter was talking to us this past week at the dinner table, and we were talking about certain things about life and about God. And she said, yeah, the, the guy, the little boys at school when we're playing at the playground, she said, they say weird things about God. I said, well, like, what are they saying? And she said, well, they're talking about their dads, and they're saying their dads are more powerful than God. And see, that understanding of a dad is he is big, he is strong, he's mighty, he's the protector and the provider. There's that concept that's kind of ingrained whether you've had it or not. So the God of the Bible, in his power, what he wants us to understand is he does have everything under control. He is the provider. He is the one who is all-powerful, and he is our protector. Amen? The Bible also reveals that the power of God makes us feel as human beings very weak. Yeah, and there's a reason why we should feel weak. Because that leads to the next thing, is that the power of God shows us as broken humanity the need for a powerful God and the need for a Savior. We need Jesus. Amen? And so in Jesus' moment of great weakness, that is when God revealed his power and gave you and I a key to unlocking his power in our daily life. I'll talk more about that in a moment. If you have your Bibles with you, we're going to look at a few passages, but one that I think is extremely beautiful and important is Genesis 17.1, where God speaks to the founder of faith, a man named Abraham. For those that have been reading with us on a daily basis through the Bible app or the handout that we gave, we've read the story of patriarchs like Job, and we've read the story of Abraham and Isaac, and now we're reading, we read about Jacob, now we're moving on to someone like Joseph. But God, when he spoke to Abraham, he said in Genesis 17, 1, I am the almighty God, walk before me and be perfect. That's quite a command. He says, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be perfect. In the New Testament, Christians are admonished to be holy because God is holy. Be blameless because God is blameless. How is that even possible? Like I said, I'll talk more about that in a moment. But when God was revealing himself to the founder of Judaism, Abraham, and the very roots of Christianity, he showed him, I am a powerful God. There is no one like me. I have no equal, and I don't even have a rival. See, oftentimes in theological thinking, even church thinking, we can sometimes put the devil and his demons on the same playing field as God. But God has no equal, and he has no rival. The devil doesn't even compare to the power and the goodness of God. His evil and his misdeeds don't even compare to how great and awesome our God is. See, the God of the Bible, he's big. He's so big and he's so multidimensional and multifaceted that even in his power, it can't even be expressed in a name. 
You and I have names that were called, hopefully nice ones, names that we were given. So whether your name is John or Vera, or it might be Ave Maria, plug. It might be something like Zanetta, which is also another beautiful name, or Vicente. Whatever your name might be today, they are all lovely names with a meaning, but God cannot be defined in just one name. Therefore, the Bible gives God hundreds of names that show his power and his glory. Some of these names are El Shaddai, the almighty, all-sufficient God, the God who everything you need can be found in him. Another name is El Elyon, God Most High, meaning he is the God above every God. He is the God with a capital G. All the other gods are false gods with a lowercase g. So in a world of pluralism where there are all kinds of gods and religions, the God of the Bible says, don't even equate or compare me to them because I'm big God, capital G, and those are just little demigods and they mean nothing and they will have no influence see even from the old testament god was showing he was the one and only way another name that god reveals his power and nature in is the name elohim that is the name god the creator it was one of the first revelations of god in his power was to adam and eve as god the creator the last one, which is important to know, was the revelation in Exodus to Moses. When God called Moses to deliver the people of Israel, Moses said to him, when I go to Pharaoh, who is considered the God of Egypt, who should I tell him sent me? And God replies to Moses, tell him I am sent you. The one who is everything See, because the God of the Bible is everything. He is the God who saves. He is the God who delivers. He is the God who heals. He is the God who provides, protects, secures. He is the God above every other God through and through. The Bible shows us in many passages about the power of God. Jeremiah comments about the power of God in Jeremiah 32, 17. He says, our Lord God, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power. Nothing is too difficult for you. Nothing. The book of Revelation 19, 6, after the great multitude praises and sings praises to Jesus being the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world, that multitude begins to sing, Alleluia, for the Lord our God omnipotent reigns. The all-powerful God reigns over all creation and over all humanity. Romans eleven thirty six. it says, For of him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Do you know that he keeps everything held together? Do we understand that? Even scientifically, that he holds everything all together. I'm going to tell you something maybe a little bit crazy, but it's not. The chair you're sitting in, is it moving? Is it moving or not? We would say, no, it is not. It is sedentary. The chair stays there. It is not moving. But the very chair you are sitting on is made up of elements and molecules that are in constant motion. 
they, the, the, the very molecular system itself resembles the very galaxy that we live in of planets that orbit around the sun. And within a molecule, we have protons and neutrons, and they have a nucleus, and they orbit around it, and positive and neg negative frequencies. And the same happens even in our solar system, even in the Milky Way galaxy, but also the Milky Way galaxy is even moving in the universe. And so scientists, even though they know about this system, they don't completely understand what holds it all together. But the God of the Bible has already shown us he's the one holding it all together. So if he can hold that stupid chair together so that you don't fall on your butt on the floor, how much more will he hold your life in the palm of his hand? Not only does he have the universe and the galaxies and the stars, He's got you in the palm of his hand. Man, I love the word of God. Ephesians 1.11, in him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purposes of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. In his power, he is wise. He sees the big picture and he sees the detail. Do we understand God is working out a big plan? So sometimes it's bigger than you and I. But the beauty of the power of the God of the Bible is, even though his plan is bigger than you and I, it includes you and I. Isn't that lovely? Hebrews 1.3, God's Son upholds all things by the word of his power. See, the Bible shows us in the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is not a created being. Jesus is the second person of the triune God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So in the beginning, when the very words came over the universe, let there be light, the very accomplishment of that Word, the Word that was spoken, was Jesus coming through the Father and operating in the power of the spirit and there was light mark 14 36 and jesus said abba father all things are possible for you take this cup away from me nevertheless that not what i will but what you will be done. Jesus understood that even in his moment of agony before he was about to be betrayed, that the plan of the Father was bigger and better. He knew that everything was possible through his Father, but he knew that the Father's plan was bigger and better than what he could imagine in that moment. Psalm 115.3 says, but our God is in heaven and he does what he pleases. See, the God of the Bible, he is not absent from us, but he's also not a genie in a lamp. See, we may have seen the movie Aladdin, and we see that you rub a lamp and you get all these wishes and what you want, but the God of the Bible, even though he is holy and merciful and good, and it feels so cuddly and cozy when he's like that, but see, the God of the Bible is big, and he's great, and he's expansive, and he's beyond all things. His ways are not our ways, and his thoughts are not our thoughts. Even though he is big and huge and infinite, that can sometimes cause holy fear and trepidation in us. But I believe that we need it. See, the Bible speaks about the fear of God. 
It tells us that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. We need to understand as human beings, but also as Christians, that God is not like us. He is beyond us. He is so far beyond us that that is the very reason why we need him. When it comes to God's power, the God of the Bible is a force to be reckoned with. He is the creator, like I said, the deliverer, the healer, the provider. He is all-knowing, all-merciful, all-present. But not only that, he can make mountains out of molehills, and he can make molehills out of mountains. He can do anything. God's power is not unbridled in its force. His power is linked to his sovereignty. What does that mean? His power works in a fashion that always coincides with his rule and reign. His power is calculated, it is purposeful, and it is deliberately strategic, to say the least. See, God is the master orchestrator of everything. When we sing, he's got the whole world in his hands, that isn't something simple, it is very complicated. Not only did he think of it, he holds it in place, but he also shows us through the Bible that he also comes to redeem it. Since he has at his command all of the power in the universe, the Lord God omnipotent can do anything as easily as anyone else. All his acts are done without effort. He expends no energy that must be replenished. His self-sufficiency makes it uneasy, unnecessary for him to look outside himself for the renewal of his strength. All the power required to do all that he wills to do lies in undiminished fullness of his infinite being. To quote from A.W. Tozer, God doesn't need anyone else. He doesn't need us. He doesn't get strength. He doesn't get power from us. He is a power source in and of himself. But we need strength. We need power. The Bible shows us in the book of Isaiah, even the youth that says grow weary and weak. In another translation in Dutch, when it expounds upon the youth, it actually says to them, even the trained military men grow weak and weary. But those that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will soar. They will not grow weary. And they will not grow faint. Why? Because the God of the Bible never grows weary. He never grows faint. He never gets tired. He is awake 24-7. Your need and your life is so very important to him. Even in the story of creation, he rests on the seventh day, not because he needs to, but because he wants to be an example to us that we are not workhorses in this world, but that we have one day a week to rest and rejuvenate ourselves. The understanding of God's almighty power can be somewhat complicated for us as people. Even though we say he's not a genie, we would like him to be. We've all experienced moments of grave disappointment and hurt in our life. Moments where we cried and we felt desperate and helpless. Maybe even in those moments we've said, if only I were God, 
I would do things differently. Have you ever had that? I have. Come on. I'm very real. I don't lie about this stuff. Like, it's, it's like real life. When I was going through my life with certain things I experienced, I thought if I was God, I would be doing this a little bit differently. Can I get an amen on that one? Come on. That's real. That's life. I have a little clip from a movie. For those that are watching via live stream, you've got to give us a few moments of blackout because of trademarks and registration. They'll kick off our whole video. So you guys, unfortunately, you cannot see this. This is a little clip from Bruce Almighty. Again, I only like the clip. I can't recommend the whole movie. It illustrates for us sometimes that struggle that we have. In this particular clip and movie, Bruce becomes empowered to become God and realizes it's not the easiest job in the world. Uh, there's a lot that comes along with the job description because it's not about personal pleasure or gain. But Bruce also shows us something else, that there is a cry within humanity, a cry within all of us where we feel sometimes completely helpless and burdened and hurt because of things that have happened, where we want to shake our fists in God's face and say, but if you are an all-powerful God, why this and why this and why this? But the Bible shows us a solution, and that solution did not come by us getting God's infinite, omnipotent power. It came because of something that Jesus did for us. See, God, he shows us his most powerful moment in the midst of powerlessness. As Jesus hung naked and mangled and bleeding on a cross, he cried out the very words of forsakenness, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? Even as Jesus is crying out those words, there are preachers and scholars that say, no, Jesus didn't feel forsaken or abandoned. He's just quoting Psalm 22. He didn't feel forsaken or abandoned? That would, that would defeat the whole purpose of the cross. See, Isaiah 53 shows us that Jesus, when he hung on that cross, he hung there for a reason. When Jesus echoes out the famous words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He muddles out the words in a combination of Hebrew and Aramaic. Jesus is showing in those moments something that's very unique, even psychologically. Jesus is very human. He's very bilingual in that moment. Jesus would have heard Aramaic from his parents, from the womb and the songs that he was sung and the life that he lived. But Hebrew was the language of the temple. And like any good bilingual or trilingual person, if you step on their toes, they are going to yell in two languages sometimes. And so in that moment of pain and desperation in humanity, something was happening. The forsakenness and the powerlessness that you and I feel a key was being given. Isaiah 53 begins to open the door with that key and it says, Surely he, meaning Jesus, took up our infirmities and he carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him beaten by God, smitten by him and afflicted. Yet he was pierced. For our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, and the punishment that brought us peace was laid upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. See, the suffering of Christ on the cross, it must never be underplayed in our theology, in our practice, in our worship. It's not ever meant to be made friendly. 
It's not an act, but rather a harsh reality. It is a drama of sorts in which Jesus is faced with when he dies on the cross. Frankly, Christ's crucifixion was terrible. It is an anxiety and loneliness and in God forsakenness in which Christ cries out a psalm amidst the appearance of a very disturbed union. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The suffering Christ who once shared unbroken fellowship with the Father and the Spirit subjects himself to utter terribleness to appease the wrath of God for the sin of humanity and the sin of you and I, to make it more personal. Why is this cross so important? Like I said, the power of God is meant to show us things. It shows us the love of the Father, but it also shows us our humanity. The cross, as Jesus echoes out, why have you forsaken me, is the cry of every human being who has ever gone through tragedy, who has ever had moments that they felt like they could do it better than God, if God only could intervene in this moment. But God intervened in a moment in history when he took that abandoned feeling, that forsakenness, that God-forsakenness, and he laid it upon Jesus, Jesus who felt connected to the Father and to the Spirit in that moment, that connection felt completely broken. So there is Jesus, naked, bleeding, and abandoned, and he is doing it for you and I. Why? 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 Because according to the Greek, something like the cross is just foolishness. Why do you need a savior? Why do you need a crutch? To the world of the Jews, the cross was a stumbling block. The savior isn't a suffering servant. He's supposed to be the king that redeems Israel. But God's ways are not our ways and his plans are not our plans. He made Jesus come and suffer so that Jesus could understand the moments where you and I feel utterly powerless. And that is why 1 Corinthians 1.18 and Romans 1.16 tell us that the cross is foolishness to the world, but it is the power of God for salvation for those who believe there is something about that moment where Jesus cries out in utter humanity that we can relate to him, that we know that he understands our pain and our burden and our sin. And Jesus invites you and I, and he invites all of humanity to take the anguish and the pain and our powerlessness and lay it down at the foot of the cross. See, he told us, I'll never leave you or forsake you. He told his disciples, you will know trouble in this world, suffering, tribulation, and problems. But fear not, peace I have and peace I give you. I have overcome the world. He said to the disciples when he was about to go to the Father, I am not leaving you like scared little orphans. Wait in Jerusalem and pray, then you will receive the power of the Holy Spirit. You don't have to do it in your own strength. See, Christianity is never meant to be done 
in our own strength. Living a life of a victor and not a victim is not something we do in our own strength. It is something we do because of the power of the cross. Jesus not only died, but he rose again on the third day. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is dwelling in you. So if you believe in Jesus and you believe in his power, you've got a reason to get up out of bed every day. You've got a purpose. You have a plan. You are part of something way bigger than what you can comprehend or understand. In closing today, a few things that we should take home with us and understanding why God is all-powerful. What does that have to do with me? I'm leaving here today. Pastor, I like the goodness sermon. I get to get God's goodness. I like the mercy one. I need mercy. We all know that one. The holiness, well, yeah, that's kind of convicting, but I'll go for that one. But God all-powerful, how does that relate to my daily life? And the following, number one, as a believer, the omnipotence of God should build my faith, knowing that I can have full assurance in God's ability to guarantee the outcome of my life in any situation. Romans 4, 20 through 21 shows us that. Number two, as a believer, the omnipotence of God should limit my fear, knowing that God is in full control of all the events of human history. Isaiah 41, 10. Number three, as a believer, the omnipotence of God tells me that there is a purpose to be accomplished, knowing that behind all of life's sufferings and troubles, there is a God who is fully able to prevent it. We understand that. Yet, he has a good purpose in it, and he will sustain me through it. That's tough. That's like swallowing nails. That's Romans 8, 28. All things work together for the good of those that love God and then the Bible says, and are called according to his purpose. You're going to go through hard times. Even as a Christian, you are going to go through hard times. But in the midst of that hardship, understand God is working out a greater plan. Number four, as a believer, the omnipotence of God tells me that all things will be made right in the end knowing that everyone will stand in the presence of a God who is fully just, he is fully able to convict, but he is also powerful to vindicate. God knows how this story ends, and so do we. That's why we have the Bible, amen? Ecclesiastes 3.17 shows us that. And lastly, number five, as a believer, the omnipotence of God tells me that I must adjust my experience goals and prayers to surrender myself to God's power, knowing that he can and will do far more than I can think, ask, or even imagine. Ephesians 3.20. All right, I said it. The reality is, is that you and I not only will experience moments in the past, but in the present and the future where we feel forsaken, where we wish that we could be God and have his power in a situation where we feel ultimately powerless.
However, in this understanding of God's power, it is knowing he is the sovereign God. He's got everything under control, like the stupid chair, then the massive planets. He is moving everything according to his will and purposes. And because we know that, it makes him good, no matter what we experience. If you are reading the daily Bible readings with us as a church, and if you're not, you can hop on board with us. We have printouts, the Bible app. If you want it, you can see Pastor Maria after church. Raise your hand, raise your hand. Because right now, we are reading the story of Joseph with one another. The story of Joseph in the Bible shows us, and we're gonna, I'm going to have a sermon series on it this year. But in the life of Joseph, he experienced a lot of bad things. His brothers sold him as a slave. When he went and served as a slave, he was convicted of adultery even though he did nothing wrong. And then he was sent to prison. When he interpreted the dreams of other prisoners and told them, remember me, they forgot him. And ultimately, the moral of the story is the point we're on in the story as of today is that Joseph is interpreting the very dreams of Pharaoh. But the very plan and purposes of God in Joseph's life have not been completed as of today's reading. That We're getting there. But Joseph says something very telling. Ultimately, he will say to his brothers who meant evil, he said, everything you meant for evil, God has turned around for the good, for your salvation and the salvation of everyone else. See, that is the ultimate understanding, that God is working out a plan that is bigger than you, but again, it includes you. You are part of that plan. So whether you feel abandoned or forsaken or just pure powerless, thank God for Jesus who gives us power through the cross, who gives us power through his resurrection and power through the Holy Spirit. The altar call for this morning is not necessarily do you know Jesus. The altar call for this morning is are you willing to let the problems and the troubles of your life become insignificant compared to the power and glory of God. See, when he becomes big, our problems become small. When his plan becomes big, our temporary, and the Bible refers to that, our temporary sufferings become nothing in the light of eternity. What we need as a church and what we need as believers is we need to understand how big this God is. Not only does he have the universe in his hands, he's got governments in his hands. He's got politicians in his pocket. He's got everything under control. See, God is never out of control. We are. We are. God is a God of order. He is a God of power. He is a God of connection. We are a people of disorder, imperfection. And so we need to connect ourselves to him and worship. One of the best ways to connect to God and his power, even in the midst of difficulty, is to praise him. To praise him for his goodness, just solely for who he is. To stand in awe of his presence and surrender yourself completely to him, just like Jesus did. Jesus said, Father, if it be your will and plan, let this cup pass from me. But your plan is bigger and better. With you, all things are possible. Let's surrender to the Father today.
I'm going to play a song for all of you called Lord, You're Holy. As that song plays, I would like you to take a moment of worship for yourself. So whether you sit, kneel, stand, lay out across the floor, whatever it is that you do, respond in your own way. But that is your way of saying, I'm going to shake off what the Bible calls the spirit of heaviness. And I'm going to take on what the Bible refers to as the garment of praise. I'm going to forget about myself, my life, the things I've been through. I'm going to focus on him and praise him right now in this moment. Let's play that song.